Welcome to Coach House Talks. Happy New Year. I trust you had a, a really good New Year and that you were blessed over the New Year and uh, the Christmas time as well. And I trust that you all kept safe. Um, I know it's a very strange time, but I want to encourage us as a church. I just really want to encourage us. At Bassenfell, when we were away, those of you who were at Bassenfell, you'll know a little bit about what I'm going to say. Um, those of you who weren't, you've got the benefit of hearing it for the first time. But uh, we looked while we were at Bassenfell, we, we get together in the evenings and we have some really nice times of study and just times together. And this year, we looked at the broad title of Restoration. So we looked at the book of Nehemiah as a launch pad for our discussions. Now, if you know Nehemiah, you'll know that Nehemiah rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem after the exiles. They came out of exile and they rebuilt the walls of uh, Jerusalem with the Jews that came out of captivity. And it took them 52 days just to rebuild the entire city walls around Jerusalem. Now, this was an amazing feat, given that the size of the task at hand, these walls were very, very thick, and there was lots of them, and there was kind of fortresses along them as well, and, uh, you know, and they faced opposition. From day one, they faced opposition. So they were trying to build the walls, they were doing what was right, but from day one, they had opposition in their faces. Now, in a few weeks' time, we're gonna start our grand tour of the Bible. Okay, so that's what we're going to be doing as a church. I'm just going to lay it down there. We're going to do a grand tour of the Bible, exploring the major themes that hold all of the scripture in one coherent story. Okay, so we're going to look at what the broad thread is of what God is trying to say to us through scripture. I think sometimes we can zone in on various parts of scripture and try and make it say what we would like it to say. But actually, the broad story of the Bible is, uh, is God's story. And we want to explore that theme that holds together the scripture in one story that is brilliant and life-changing for humankind. Throughout history and in the present now and for us into our future. Now, New Year is traditionally a time to sweep aside the past and to refocus on what is in front of us. So I know lots of churches at this time of year will be going, well, what was done is done, and let's forget all the mistakes, and let's forget everything that we've come through because it's a new year. Let's wipe the slate clean, and let's just get on with new year that's ahead of us. Now, I'm not sure that I entirely want us to do that because it implies that everything behind us doesn't count for anything. And I'd like to say to you that what we've done up to this point, as well as what we're going to look to do in the future, actually counts as something. It's not just, oh, let's push it aside and forget that that's happened. I would much rather that we look at where we are and encourage us to keep going. In other words, let's not just say, well, that was that and now we're here. Let's continue in the good things that we have undoubtedly been doing with Jesus. Okay, I want us to keep and remain consistent and keep maturing in our faith. I want us to look back at how far we've come, what obstacles God has helped us over, 
and how he has strengthened us as a result. Because this appears to me to be the biblical model. Okay? When God was teaching the Israelites, he wasn't saying, well, everything that's gone behind you is gone behind you and that's that. We just look forward. Yes, they were undoubtedly looking forward, but they were also told to remember where God had brought them from. Because remembering where God has brought you from and brought them from gives you the faith and the understanding to trust and hope for your future and what is to come. Because one thing we know about God is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I did hear one or two there. Should we try that again? God is the same And sometimes we need to keep reminding ourselves that because the slide that, that Jamie put up at the front that, yes, Jesus has everything in control, broadly speaking, that's the same thing, isn't it? That we have to trust that God, who held the past, holds our present, also holds our future. So everything that's gone before us is not a waste of time. In fact, there are lessons to be learnt. Because our life is one of Christian growth, okay? We don't just get to a point and go, oh, it's done. And now we just plain sail through the rest of history. I want our Christian life to be one of continual growth. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 says, You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So that's not a static thing, is it? That's not a, hey, you've learned everything you need to know and that's it. You now stand still and just let it wash over you. No, we are continually learning. And I think every mature Christian, every person that knows Christ in this building will know that actually there are obstacles in the way and life gets tough. And there are lessons that we learn as we increase in maturity. And so mature Christians, those that have been Christians for a little while, they seem to have a knowledge that perhaps us younger Christians don't have. And it's because they've lived the life. So, as we embark on another year, I want us to remember exactly who we are in Christ. So I've got three words that I want to propose. Number one, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your saviour, you are redeemed. But what does that mean? Well, the classification re, so when we see a word that has re in front of it, it should point us to the fact that something's been done again. Something started again. Restarted. Repainted. Or the buzzword of the last few years, repurposed. We've all seen repair shop and the Sarah Beanie's kind of, you know, what she gets from the... Is it Sarah Beanie gets stuff? From, no, maybe it isn't Sarah Beanie. Somebody else. Sarah, anyway, who gets stuff from the rubbish tip and then she makes something and then she sells it and gives the cash back to the person that was throwing this stuff away in the tip. Repurposing things. So in other words, taking something we've done and finished with and finding another purpose for it. Rebuilding it. Repurposing it. We are... Redeemed, We have been lifted from somewhere and placed somewhere else. And that's your state as a Christian. So something or someone, in our cases, being made right again and having its true value 
reinstated. That's you. That's you and I. Being redeemed, or to use another reword, rescued, is the entire narrative of God's word, revealing God's intended purpose for you and I, his creation. You see, we've wandered away. We've been separated by sin, and we have no thought of relationship with God. So God amazingly did all of the approach work. He did everything. He didn't wait for us. He went, no, I love you so much, I will do what needs to be done. And so God forms a plan, a plan that he has stuck to. And he sent Jesus to pay for all of our wrongdoing. A full and proper payment for sin for all time, for all people. This is what being redeemed is for you and I. See, Galatians 3, Paul puts it like this, verses 13 and 14. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessings that he promised to Abraham. So that we, are, that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So let's put a stake in the ground. Jesus has paid the price so that we might be saved. We call upon God's grace and mercy. and We believe in Jesus as our Savior. Then we are redeemed. We are saved. And we are therefore thankful. Because we've been given something we don't deserve. We've been put and lifted into a place that we do not deserve. And when we surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to change us. Hands up if you felt the Holy Spirit start to change you once you've become a Christian. It's a process. Yeah? So how many of you feel you you finished the process? Oh, there the hands disappear. That's good. How many of you feel that the process is still working its way out? How many of you struggle with that working its way out sometimes? Yeah. Okay. It's a process. It's a biblical model. I want you to see that the Bible tells you that the people in Israel, the Jews, God's chosen people, stumbled and stumbled and stumbled and stumbled and stumbled, but God still kept loving them. Guess what happens to us? We stumble, we stumble, we stumble, we stumble, we stumble, and God still loves us. Because we are redeemed. And because we're redeemed, God starts this process in us of reforming. Okay, he reforms us. He starts to change us. The Bible uses a big word called sanctification for this process. And it it means becoming more Christ-like. Okay, so we've been redeemed, we've been saved from sin, we've been, the curse and penalty of sin been removed from us. And now this process begins in us to make us more Christ-like. And that is a day-by-day process. And let me tell you that you sometimes will get it and sometimes you'll fail at it. Okay, that's just the way of life. You will sometimes be bad at it and sometimes you'll be good at it. 
because it's a process and the Holy Spirit knows entirely what you and I need in that process. And here's a little bit of another secret. What I need is not what you need. Okay? So don't ever look at somebody else and go, they are not where I am. Because it's not your place to say that. Because God is doing a work in every individual that he has called to himself. And our job is to encourage one another in our processes. But why does God bother to do this? Why does God not leave, why doesn't he just leave us alone? Why has he done everything that he's done to redeem us and then set, up, set in motion this process of reforming us? Well, C.S. Lewis puts this very well in his book, The Problem of Pain. I'm just going to quote from something that he says in this book. He says this, To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. Because he is what he is. His love must, in the nature of things, be impeded and repelled by certain stains in our present character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us lovable. Does that make sense? Because God is who he is, he won't leave you as you are because he loves you too much. And so he starts a process of making you lovable by pouring into you the character traits of Jesus. We are works in progress. We persevere and we push on. That's our lot. That's our life. God labors to make us lovable. Now think about that. The characteristics of God who is love shining through you and I. Paul in the epistle to the Galatians writes about knowing the followers of Jesus by their fruits or their characters. But let's make sure that we read this correctly. Okay? Galatians 5, verse 22, tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. So God not only redeems us, he then sets about this process and gives us the Holy Spirit by which that process starts to show itself. So Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. Now, what brought about the curse before? The law. There is no law against what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. But it's the Holy Spirit doing it. You know, I've heard sermons where it's like, you must show this, you must show this. You must. And the onus is put on you. You to show love, you to show patience, you to look, show kindness. The Bible tells me quite categorically, but it's the Holy Spirit that produces this in you. That's why we can say with all confidence, by your fruits, you will be known. Because you can't replicate it. You cannot replicate what Christ is doing or wants to do in your life. Otherwise, good people go to heaven. And we know that's not true. Because the truth of the gospel is that only through Jesus Christ are we redeemed. And only the redeemed 
are going to heaven. Okay, so we need to make this distinction that once we're redeemed, the Holy Spirit starts to work in us. So God, who loves us so much, says, I can't leave you in the state that I found you. I can't leave you like that. So he reforms us. And the reason that God reforms us is that so that we can be finally restored. Restoration is the final act. The conclusion of God's plans for us. You see, it's a promise written over us. We will be restored. See, God's intended reason for mankind was to have relationship with him. Not just a passing glance, but full-on, fully committed, divinely inspired love for our creator and the purposer of our lives. That's what God created you and I for. We were created for relationship with God forever. Read your Bibles. Adam and Eve were created forever, to live forever with God until sin entered in. So we were created, humankind was created by God to live in relationship with him forever. But sin and disobedience is not an act of love, is it? We love somebody, we're not going to go and be disobedient to them to act in against their will or against what they've asked us to do. Sin and disobedience is something of selfishness and abandonment. We convince ourselves of our own ability to make it in life. And if you look at Adam and Eve, you look at the falling of creation, you will see that that's what happened. And the depressing last line from the book of Judges shows us what lies in the heart of man because of sin. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. They rejected their kings. And by that, that means earthly kings and their true king. They had no king. They rejected their king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You see, when we abandon the kingship and headship of God in our lives, then we set off to do whatever we feel is right. Guided by our treacherous hearts, our own thinking and deluded self-worth. We become the direct opposite of what God intended. And yet, God redeems. God reforms. And God ultimately restores all those who call on the name of Jesus for forgiveness. You see, God's love is so overwhelming so all-encompassing and so full of compassion and grace towards us that we should endeavor to do all that we can to love him fully. The ability to do so is always marred by our sinful nature, though. Whilst we are indeed restored back to God by the covering provided by God, it's the promise of full restoration that we look forward to. 
with new bodies, new minds, uncorrupted by sin and safe fraternity to worship God as it was always intended. It's a promise. So I'm going to say this to you. Because it's a promise, expect the expected. Okay? But not necessarily when you expect it. Okay? Expect the expected, but not necessarily when you expect it. Because we love to put our little swing on things, don't we? We love to go, oh, I'm going to read this in the way that suits me and suits my life right now. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think often we look at the Bible and go, well, I'll read that and take that for now because it means I can get away with something I know is not right. Because I've done that. And if I've done that, I'm pretty sure everyone else has done that. We kind of want to try and make things a little bit easier for ourselves. We, there are often bits of scripture that we go, I really don't like reading that. So I'll just skip over it and find a bit I do like. Anyone done that? Should we have a show of hands? Because we do. It's human nature. We go, really don't like that bit. I don't understand it. Don't know what's going on about. It impacts me. So I want to push it aside and just, oh, that's nice, this bit. Oh, oh that's good. That makes me feel good. <sighs> and we do, don't we? That's just our human nature. So if God's got a promise over your life, expect it to happen. Expect the expected. But don't try and force your plans and design on it and the way it might look and feel. The problem with today's society, I think, is that we are fed of diet of quick fixes and shortcuts. Our supermarket shelves are full of ready meals, and me included, like to swing by the fast food outlets from time to time for a quick meal to save times in our busy schedules. We all do it. We don't spend time repairing things anymore, do we? Apart from Derek. So if you can nail a piece of wood to something, Derek's your man. He'll try and repair it. But generally, we don't spend time repairing things anymore. We throw away and buy new. We're a society conditioned to throw away and replace. You'll get people who come out to fix, I don't know, fix a radiator, for example. And they come out and they go, oh, there's a small part blown on the circuit board which controls it. But to get that circuit board and replace it, it's going to take me seven hours. And seven hours at £52 an hour means it's not worth doing. So I'll just put a new radiator on because it's just easier. It's quicker for me to do that. And in the long run, it's cheaper for you. So you end up with a new radiator and you chuck away the old one to save costs and to save time and to save money. Do you see how... And society, when you look at it, it's kind of geared up like that now. That's the way that society works. We throw away and we replace. And it's usually driven by the constraints in our time and the busyness of our schedules. But once again, the Bible reveals to us that there is a rest for all those who believe in Jesus. So this busyness that we've got sucked into isn't what God intended at all. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3 says this, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Let's read that again. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. It's still in operation. It's still there for you and I to participate in. 
So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. (laughs) I like the first bit. Don't quite like the second bit because it means there's an onus on me to do something for those who actually are outside of Jesus' love and redemption at this time. And we should be fearful that they might not enter and experience the rest that's promised to us. Because this rest is good news. That God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them, that's the Jews. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. There's an onus on us there, isn't there? There's a big onus on us. What about those that are not destined to enter that rest yet because they haven't accepted Jesus, because they haven't been redeemed or started the process of being reformed and therefore cannot be restored? See, it's in order to enter this rest, which is our eternal state in heaven, that God has redeemed, reformed, and will restore humankind. But there's a big caveat on that, because Jesus is the only way in. We were created eternal, okay? But sin has brought about death. We are promised rest from sickness, We are promised rest from death. We are promised rest from decay through a restored relationship with God through Jesus. So there we have it. The reason to keep on going, the reason to build on what has already been achieved. And I I do want to say this. I said this at Bassenfell to those at Bassenfell. We should be really pleased about how far we've come. Okay? Don't look upon last year and the year before, and the year before that, and go, I'm glad that's over. What you should actually be doing is looking at where God has brought you, and look at where you are today because of what God has done in your life. Now, Lauren made a lovely comment on New Year's Eve about just that very thing. She just, there was a moment, wasn't there, where you just went, you know what, I look back and I'm just thankful that I've got a family. Who'd have thought a year ago I could have looked at this and seen that I would be sat here with a family at Bassenfell enjoying New Year. And, you know, something like that needs to happen in our thinking. We need to look back and say, you know what, it's not, it's not all disaster what we've come through. Yes, it was a tricky year, but has God preserved you and kept you? Yes, he has. Has he changed your character? Yes, he has. Is he making you and forming you into his church? Yes, he is. So let's not scrap all that. Let's acknowledge it and build on it. Let's step up from where God has brought us. So, it's not easy to persevere and remain. It isn't. But the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, equips us, strengthens us, and matures us, bearing Christ-like fruit in our lives. You bear Christ-like fruit in your lives. There are no shortcuts, however, 
on this journey. And no promise that we will not face hardships. Just a glorious promise of restoration and eternity with God when we enter our final rest. And that is what God intends for you and I. For that final restoration of our relationship with God. So, we might pray for another reword, revival. And we often do this, don't we? We pray for revival. We want revival. Well, let me tell you, often we want a shortcut to revival. We just want things to be rosy and good and happy. But there is no shortcut to revival. Any revival you read about, any revival at all that you read about, has some substance before it that creates revival. So if we follow the prescribed biblical steps, redeemed, reformed, and looking forward to restoration, then we will see and have revival. There is no shortcut to it. So in 2022, I want to urge you this. Do what is right, not what is easy. Do what the Bible says. Do what the Holy Spirit urges you to do. And try and stop taking the easy route. I was talking to somebody the other day and said, you know, when you get to a point where you've fallen in sin, where you've got to a point where you've done a dastardly deed and Satan's on you saying, how can you be a Christian when you've done that? Well, the whole point of that is that they didn't just go from there to there, okay? And I want you to recognize this. Every time you step out of line, the Holy Spirit is trying to pull you back. Every time. And every time you ignore it, you take a next step away. And the Holy Spirit says, please don't do this. And you take a conscious decision to go, no, I'm going to go to the next step. And the Holy Spirit once again says, no, don't do that. And you go, no, I'm going to go to the next step. And before you know it, you've hit this, well, I've done it the wrong way. We've hit rock bottom. We've done something that we feel is totally shattered our Christian life. And we need to remember as well that when we do these steps, Satan is making sure that other people see it. Because his job is to try and destroy the church. So every time we get to one of these fateful positions, I want us to just think, we've taken a number of steps together, and every time we've taken a step, the Holy Spirit has said, don't do that, don't do that, don't, please don't do that. I beg you, don't do that. And we take a conscious decision to move on and move on and move on. The Bible calls it hardening your heart. In other words, not being able to hear God's tender calling you back to a position of grace and love and acceptance. And we harden our hearts because our human nature wants to drag us there. And we harden our hearts and we take steps towards that fateful position. So this year, do what is right, not what is easy. You are redeemed. You are being reformed and you will be restored. Endeavor to live like it in the year to come. And I want to encourage you to look at the fruit you are already displaying as a church and keep going in it. Keep loving one another. 
Keep acting in grace towards one another. Keep being church to one another. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.